morning, church. How you guys doing? All right. <laughs> Not so great. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for the traffic jam. Good morning. Let's stand and worship. You guys are in for a treat. Father, we come before you. Just thank you for uh, this morning. God, recognizing that you created it. God, and now we're going to rejoice. We're going to lift up a shout of praise to you, our mighty warrior. God, we love you and praise you and just submit to you in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Strong deep. 
ourselves into thinking that we protect ourselves and it's not it. God, you go before us. God, thank you for relieving this burden.
good. God, and we can't declare it enough. God, and if we think we can, we need to spend more time in your presence, realizing how good you are. God, in a world filled with bad, how we just praise the Lord that the simplicity of you being good causes us to rest. So we rest in your goodness. We rest in your mercy. Lord, would you teach us something new this morning? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good singing, guys, as always. We'll take some love, some joy. Say hi to someone next to you. High fives, handshakes. What's up guys? I'm back with your announcements again this week. Uh, before we get into them though, why don't you join me in prayer for the tithe and offering. Jesus, we thank you for your provision, God. We thank you for your love. Um, and, and so we just commit this to you, God, and we ask that you have your way and give us the means to continue to grow your kingdom. Amen. Amen, guys. So yeah, as always, if you want to give, you can um, go to our website or you can just um, put something in the tithe and offering boxes out in the lobbies and exits um, as well. You can fill out a connect card out there. Um, we, we need volunteers for, for many different areas. I know specifically we're looking for volunteers for cafe uh, the most right now because they are looking to reopen. Guys, VBS is coming up super, super uh, shortly and we're so excited to, to say that you know we, we sold out um, our, our kids. We're gonna have 200 kids coming to that. It's gonna be awesome, but we need volunteers because with so many kids, it could get a little wild. So, um, hey, if you wanna, I know they're looking for like eight leaders, a bunch, like 16 assistant leaders, um, and there's a few other positions as well. So th there, there's plenty of opportunities to serve with VBS still, and they need more, more leaders. So please, guys, um, you can go to the children's ministry check-in table out in the foyer, and then you can um, just sign up and register to be a volunteer for that event and make that an awesome event for our kids. And then guys, um, our Saturday night service, you know, we have it every week at 6 p.m., but um, this next Saturday, we are going to be having a dinner at 5 p.m. So we invite you guys all to come out to that. It's gonna be an awesome time of food and fellowship, and then it'll just roll right into our Saturday night service as soon as it is over. Okay guys, um, our last announcement is we got the Who, who, 
the, the, the whosoever is Isaac. Let me take it from here. Hi guys, my name is Christina Boudreau and I am a part of a movement called the Whosoevers. The Whosoevers was started by Brian Head Welsh from Corn, my friend Sandy Sandoval, who's a lead singer of POD, and my friend Ryan Reese. The goal of the Whosoevers is to reach hurting youth around the world through skateboarding, through music festivals. We do detention centers and prisons and we do different tours worldwide to reach hurting youth with the gospel. And we're so excited because June 12th through the 19th, Godspeak is gonna be partnering with us to do a skate tour through this area where we're going to be showing up at eight skate parks to do a $100 best trick contest for the kids. We're doing free product giveaways. We're going to be preaching the gospel and seeing hundreds of kids in our community come to know the Lord. That Wednesday, we're also going to be doing a film premiere right here in our sanctuary. This is a free event for all ages where we're going to be showing a film that documents our skate tour from Boise last year in the middle of COVID where we saw hundreds of kids dealing with suicide, depression, mental illness who came to know Jesus. So at the end of all three services this Sunday, we're going to have a table in the back with flyers for our film premiere and our skate tour. Please come hang out with us, and we can't wait. See you then. Awesome, awesome. Love the whosoever's, love everything they are doing. Um, hey guys, as always, you can go to our website, godspeak.com, get all event information there. Uh, and, and additionally, guys, follow us on Instagram at godspeakccto. All right, that's all from me. I'll see you guys next time. I helped with uh, closing down Potter's Field uh, Ministries, the whole story in and of itself, and, and it was exhausting. Uh, didn't complete the way I would hoped it would, but it was, you know, we did, we did due diligence. And I was always asking the Lord, why was I the guy who had to be a part of that? Well, I got to meet Christina Boudreau and what she's done, and she's an amazing gift. And so many of the kids that came out of Potter's Field, they, they instead of being hurt, they, they aren't bitter, they're better. And uh, that young lady is remarkable, and she serves here in the church, and I'm thankful for her. So please, thank her. Clap. Let's do that. Are, are we going to do the live stream test again? Yes? Yeah, okay. We're going to try it again. We're doing our best to wean ourselves from YouTube, and we're putting together our own. Yeah, amen. Yeah. You know why they censor, don't you? Because um, they can't contend with ideas. And they, so they, they have to censor truth in order to put forward a lie. And then when they can censor the truth, then they put forward the propaganda. Propaganda can only operate in the absence of truth. And so uh, in America, they censor. I mean, it's just, yeah, crazy. Uh, so we're doing our best. And we have brilliant people working on this. And I'm not kidding, because I, I talked to them like three sentences in, I have stretch marks on my brain. And it's really difficult. And, and, you know, we've got servers and all kinds of stuff, and we're, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. But it's really cool. <laughs> so we're going to do a test on it uh, to make sure that we can handle it. So all the folks that are tuning in uh, via the Internet across the country and the world, as a matter of fact, first of all, we're glad you're part of Godspeak. We wish you were here. We know you can't make it, but we love you, and we're grateful for you. Um, and so now you're going to be our guinea pigs, our, our vaccination rats. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you're watching on YouTube right now, I, we need you to go to stream.godspeak.com. And let's see if our system can handle all of you all. Uh, help us test our new live stream platform. Bear with us during the process. It may crash. 
Um, but we need your help in testing it out. So that's stream.godspeak.com. <laughs> I think we're I think we're getting close. I'm really excited. Just say, see you, YouTube. <clears throat> Rumble is cranking. It's going to get really good. If you haven't invested, you need to. Yeah. So so Charlie Kirk does a, a live stream, and they went live on Rumble, which hadn't had the capacity like YouTube has. Now Rumble has it as they've invested, and Peter Thiel's involved in it, and a bunch of other big guys, and. And they had five times as many viewers, which tells us that YouTube was completely shadow banning them. So that, that, that we know what you're doing. <laughs> they're probably doing it right now. <laughs> Don't let that out. <laughs> Strange times we live in. All right. Um, we are going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's in alignment with the anchored uh, two-year through the Bible reading program. You can find it on our website and you just see anchored, and, and you click on it, and you can join us as we're going through the entirety of the Bible in two years. Um, if you have a Bible, open up to Deuteronomy 6. If you don't, these lovely folks walking down the aisle, raise your hand. They'll give you that Bible. You can keep it if you don't own one. Folks who are new, this is for you. Folks who've been here, they've heard this 1,618 times. But I remember... Uh, an IRA member who had been arrested by the, the British and he was in prison and they gave him um, a Gideon Bible, New Testament, and he took it because he, he was a smoker and the onion skin paper was really good for rolling tobacco. <laughs> he smoked through Matthew, Mark, Luke and halfway through John and received Jesus as his savior. <laughs> it's a cool testimony, yeah, I was blessed by it. I heard him speak and he had an Irish accent when he told you about it. I just spoke all the way through John and I gave my heart to the Lord. <laughs> so we're, we're in Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to give you context. Uh, very important. Context is vital. But before I get into that, I want to just tell you I've been gone. You know that. Um, and and, it, and it, I wasn't planning on going anywhere. And I got a phone call uh, from the, the couple that <clears throat> uh, bought this building. And they said, uh, hey, they're from West Texas. Hey, you want to come celebrate my birthday? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I looked at my calendar and it's like, I haven't seen eight days open. I had to change a couple of appointments, but it was open. I'm like, so I go, honey, you want to go? And she was like, yes. So we went and celebrated his birthday. We were uh, in the Caribbean and I loved it. And it was the bluest water I've ever seen. I scuba dived, I fished, I, Michelle caught an albacore and a skipjack. I caught a mackerel. <laughs> a lot of red snapper. It was lovely. I just had such a great time. And, and we got back Thursday. Um, we were tired, it was late. And uh, I opened up a text from uh, Stacy. Sheridan, who is, um, she works for Turning Point. And Saturday, yesterday, was a big event. It was the ninth anniversary of Turning Point's founding. And it was also Charlie and Erica bringing in all these folks that have uh, supported the, the organization uh, to celebrate their, their marriage. 
because uh, they, you know, Charlie and Erica had a very small wedding. They wanted to honor God, honor each other, and then they did last night's event to honor uh, all their friends. Um, and I, I, I officiated the wedding, so I wasn't going to this thing. I was blowing it off. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm going to go to sleep. And then I opened the text, and Stacy's like, oh, I, and she sent me a Word document. I'm like, why do I need a Word document from Stacy? I hit it, and it's the order of a service for Saturday night. I'm like, so I scroll through it, I'm speaking. <laughs> so so I, I text her back, I go, please tell me it's not black tie. It is. All my clothes are in a pile. I haven't gone to laundry since Colonel Sanders was a corporal. And, it, and bless my daughter's heart, she goes, dad, I'll go get it. And she goes and picks up my dirty suit and presses it. So it looked good, but it wasn't clean. And uh, we packed and then headed over uh, to Phoenix, and we got there Friday, and, um, and then Charlie texts me, and he says, are you going to Foster's funeral? Uh, there's a, a philanthropist, uh, the largest donor to Turning Point. He made money as a, a money manager. His name's Foster Freeze. No, he doesn't own the Foster Freezes. That's not how he made his money, but he was a very wealthy man, and he passed and Charlie said, I'm the only non-family member speaking. And he, are you going to the funeral? And I'm like, um, when is it? It's 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I was going to sleep in. And I, I said, yeah, yeah, sure, of course. I'm here, here to help you, bro. And then at one, he texts me and he says, here's my message. Can, you know, and, and I was reading it. And I got to the end of his message that he was going to share. And I thought, that's not, that's not like a powerful Charlie close. And I, I go, is there any... You doing all right? Is there anything I can help you with? And he goes, I don't know how to close this thing. And, and I, I just prayed and I texted some stuff and sent it off to him. And that was like two o'clock in the morning. Um, and, and he ended up, you know, I was at the service and he ended up using it, not all of it, but some of it. And I ran into Barry McGuire, who McGuire Wax, he's a really cool guy, loves the Lord and he's just full of life, older fella. And he goes, that was a great speech. I go, I know, I, I, Charlie actually needed help to close it. And he goes, that's, he goes, you know why he couldn't close it? And I go, no, I don't know, Barry. And with wisdom that comes as an octogenarian, he said, he didn't want to say goodbye. I thought, man, that's so true. It was um, a very moving day. And then we went uh, to, to the event last night um, and I spoke and I got in the car because there's no flights leaving Phoenix uh, after 8 o'clock. So I drove one way in a rental car and got here at 3.30 this morning. <laughs> and all of you are in my room and I wish you'd, you know. <laughs> uh, there's two things and then we'll get to the word. Um, I'm flying back this afternoon because there's, there's stuff to be done. And... The time in Turks Caicos was critical. I'm not at liberty to share with you, but it's very exciting, and we will let you know when we can let you know. I'm not leaving the church. It's not that. It's like really cool stuff, and I'll tell you later. Oh, does that bother you? I'm sorry. You know, patience is a virtue. Be anxious in nothing. Um... But I, I just, I, I say all that to tell you that there isn't a more blessed pastor on the face of the earth because my father had three tours of Vietnam. 
And um, I missed him in formative years. And my mom would say to us, he's deployed. I didn't know what deployed meant. I just knew he wasn't there. And I sat with the elders of the church when I told them, look, life's going to get busy and, and there's going to be times I'm going to be out of the pulpit like I was last Sunday. And I said, but we have a republic to save and I'm on deployment. And the elders voted unanimously to agree to time away for certain events, which makes me think maybe they don't want me here. <laughs> no, but, but they understood all of you. You are the, you're the most supportive, patient, bravest congregation on the face of the earth. And I don't think there's a pastor and his wife more blessed than Michelle and I are. I get to do these things because you still come in full force, no matter who's behind this stand, because you love the Lord and you love this country and you're amazing people, and I thank God for all of you. And so God bless you guys. <clears throat> I said two things. One was to thank you, and the other was to introduce my friend Frank Sontag. If you don't, you're like, I know him. I've heard his voice. He's like me. He has a face for radio. For sure. <laughs> Actually, you're really handsome. Yeah, I don't know about that. And, and God only does that for people who have really good-looking heads. <laughs> One super lumpy. I, I love this man. And uh, God has knitted our hearts together, and we've become dear friends. And we opened up our facility for an amazing ministry that he oversees, and I wanted to tell you about it and invite you, the men. Take it over, man. Frank Sontag. Thank you. Good morning. <clears throat> um, I'll be very brief. I just want to tell you how grateful I am to be here. Um, this is an amazing church. This is God's house, and God has put a shepherd in here to really lead us at a time by which, uh, from my perspective, men, we got to step up. So let me just share very quickly. A uh, handful of years ago, God put on my heart to start something with men. I had no idea what it was. Thinking me? Really? Okay. So where we're at now is, we have a ministry called KMG, which is Kingdom Men's Gathering. We call men to get right with God. When I first started doing this, I got a call from a pastor who will go unnamed, and I just thought he was going to come alongside and say, how can I help? And it was kind of a very interesting conversation of which he was like, why are you so confrontative? And I said, excuse me? And he said, we know Jesus is a God of love, compassion, forgiveness. And I'm like, yeah, where are you going with this? And he said, you just seem like you're giving a message that's angry. And I, I was kind of taken aback. I said, because we at KMG, we teach that Jesus is the warrior king. Not just compassion, love, forgiveness, all that. Because he is that and much more. And the pastor said something that took me aback. And he said, well, we know he turned over the money changers, but he didn't get angry a whole lot. And I said, how, how, how did he respond to evil? And he was kind of silent. So all that to say this, I believe we're living in times where evil is completely unchecked. And men, we need to step up. 
We have a small ministry where we will encourage you and, and rub your backside and tell you how special you are, but we're going to challenge you too. So Saturday the 26th in three weeks, Pastor Rob has been gracious to let us have his house. He will be here. I'm flying my good friend Jack Graham in from Texas, who's an older man, and he's a warrior in every set, sense Amen. of the word. My best friend Mark Little will be here. He has a radical testimony, of which I won't even tell you. And a guy that used to hit baseballs, Daryl Strawberry, my best buddy, is going to be here too. <coughs> we, have, we have about 100 tickets left. I asked Rob literally. I texted him last night or the night before, and he said, come on, I'll give you a couple minutes. That's how, what an incredible man this brother is in my life. I'm rubber, your glue bounces off me. That's right. Sticks to you. <laughs> so franksontag.com is our, my website. That's the domain that will take you there. We're looking for some warriors to come in a few weeks. And if you want to be here, God bless you. Keep us in prayer. Thank you for everything you do for God's kingdom because I know you're an extraordinary church. And please pray for me on the radio. That's all I'll say. God bless you all. Amen. Good work, man. Simple. We've been going through the anchored reading. Uh, it's a two-year study through the Bible. Uh, Pastor Rick taught the New Testament portion of it. And I, I actually read while I was um, suffering for Jesus at Turks Caicos. And I read... And stayed in the anchor the whole time. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm moved by this passage in Deuteronomy. And it's fascinating how the Lord ties everything that I've experienced in the last, what, 10, 12 days. Uh, and the illustration at the end will deeply move you. And if it doesn't, you need to go to a doctor because you're dead. I was, I was, I was blown away. I was, I was undone. It was so touching. And I'm going to read it to you what hit me. Um, and I pray it ministers to you. I know it will. I know it will. But what's happened is the Israelites have exited. They were in slavery. Now they've been set free by the Lord um, from the tyranny of the Pharaoh. And now they're in the wilderness. And they, they have freedom from oppression, but they don't have freedom within. Uh, the greatest tyrant and the greatest enslaver of our lives is ourselves. Some of you know that because you're addicted. A lot of different addictions out there. And we have, no, we have no rule that sets us free. We're subject. We, we thought it was freedom to be able to indulge in it. And be careful when you go into partnership with the devil, you find out real quick you're a junior partner. And, and what you think is going to lift you, just enslaves you. Doesn't pick you up, it just leaves you further back than where you started. And you try to numb the pain and you find yourself enslaved. And that slave master is awful. That's you. We can be set free from governmental tyranny. We can contend with it. But the, the greatest tyrant is a heart not surrendered to the Lord. One not governed by his law. The law doesn't save, but it is a wise restraint that makes us free. We restrain ourselves from evil in order to pursue excellence. We have the ability now in Christ to say no. And there will be a battle. And I love what Frank pointed out. This warrior mentality is this idea that Jesus didn't come to bring peace but a sword. And it's not, we're not talking physical swords, although you know, occasions through the history of the world have, have proven necessary. But this is a war of ideology. 
And thank God it's a war of words. But more importantly, it's, it's a war of the human heart as to who will rule you. And his law sets us free. It's the wise restraints that make us free. The church in America has abandoned the law because we want to avoid legalism. Now, I'm not into legalism, but we don't abandon the law. Galatians 3 says that the law is a schoolteacher guardian to point us to Christ until faith comes. But most churches in America teach that the law was only put there to show us that we couldn't keep it and we needed to be saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the law is far more than that. Our founders understood it. And so these last 12 days have changed me. And I pray that what happened in my heart and how God opened my eyes, the same would occur for you. I pray God blesses you. So with that, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. For those of you who are new, we stand for the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate. Deuteronomy 6, starting with verse 1, I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. Moses is writing this, by the way. It's his second sermon. The first sermon was chapters 1 through 4. Now he's getting into his second sermon. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandsons, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, pausing for emphasis, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your law. Your precepts are good. Lord, we know the law doesn't save us, but it points us to you. These wise restraints that make us free. Lord, you've created us that we would have life and life more abundant, this Imago day created in your image. Lord, you have need of nothing, but you want us. You want us free. And so, Lord, as we study the greatest commandment and even the Decalogue this day, would you awaken us? Because an awakening comes before revival. Lord, let us examine our own heart in the light of your word. And as a nation, individually and as a people, Lord, let this occur across the country and the nation and the world. And Lord, I pray that you would bless all who are in the hearing of my voice. Lord, may man decrease that your spirit might increase and we commit this to you and we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, have a seat. Relax. 
I'll stand, don't worry. That's good Jewish guilt right there. I'll stand. Don't worry about me. My mother was really good at that. God bless her. She's with the Lord. So in context, the Israelites have left Egypt and they're wandering in the desert. And God has a promised land awaiting them. They got to cross the Jordan to get there. Moses isn't going to be allowed to enter. You see that in the reading. He struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to it. And the rock was a typology of Christ. And Christ was only crucified once, not twice. It's the speaking of the word that would bring the living water. And Moses was supposed to set that example for all mankind, but he failed and God didn't allow him into the promised land and you think God is capricious. He's not. There's a point to it. God does desire obedience over sacrifice. He's a good God. He's just. You may not understand his ways. You may disagree with that. And I just, I I got news for you. You're not going to win. What he says is true and what he does is good. Now, you can argue with him and fight him and, and despise him and not trust him. And you're at war with an entity that can't be defeated. Satan is not God's equal in evil. He's a creature just like all of us. God is eternal. He's good. He's truth and he's the embodiment and the totality of love. And he loves you and he loves me. And he wants us to have life and life more abundant. He loves the nation of Israel that was in bondage both by tyranny of Pharaoh and in their own lives as well. And he wanted a nation to be free as he wanted the world through the Noahic covenant and government to be free. He wanted mankind to see the laws of nature and nature's God and to understand and reveal truth how we're supposed to live together in in civilization. And he vanquishes the enemies of God's people as he's establishing them and he he destroys the pagan god Sahan and, the, and King Sahan and King Og. And yet, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, even after God had parted the Red Sea, vanquished Pharaoh's army, provided manna every day, water every day in the desert, blew quail off course, their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out. Even with all of these blessings that they witnessed every single day, they became entitled they no longer trusted God. They just wanted someone to take care of them. They didn't want freedom. They wanted someone to take care of them. And the Lord says, I have a land for you. Go on in. And, and the, they go in, they spy out the land, and they realize, wait a minute. There's giants in the land. There's enemies in the land. And they were afraid. Moses writes to them in the beginning of Deuteronomy, and many of you who are going through Anchored know this. They're in Kadesh Barnea. And, and they're waiting, and, and these spies that went in, one man from each tribe, chapter 1, they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshkel and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought it back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. And then Moses says, but this is what happened. And he writes this to the people. He has them not only remember God's faithfulness, but he has them remember their unfaithfulness and their fear. Moses says, nevertheless, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us 
out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakin there, which is Goliath and his brothers. They're huge giants, nine feet, ten inches tall. Then Moses said, Then I said to you, Do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and the cloud by day. You see... God has this land conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal. That's not man's idea. That's God's idea. Our founders searched the scriptures diligently. They had explored every form of government on the face of the earth and designed one never before known and seen. And they got it from the Old Testament, the first five books, the Pentateuch. They came up with a constitutional republic, the first. We weren't the first. Israel was. They were a republic, a representative form of government, because Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said to Moses, you can't handle all these people by yourself. Appoint godly men who are not covetous, who love the law. Who love the law. Let me say that again. Who love the law. Appoint them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Federal, state, county, local. There's your republic. But it's not a constitutional republic. Oh, no, it is. Because up on Mount Sinai, God gave that downloaded moral app and gave them the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And from the moral law comes civil law. There's your constitution. And all of these are demands, not of man, but of the living God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand. And the sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without his full knowledge. And every heartbeat in your chest and every breath of your lungs is by his hand. He's the author of life and the sustainer of it. And as I say often and will say often again, we're living on his dirt, breathing his air, drinking his water and eating his food and we will live by his rules. And if we don't, if we break that law, that law will break us. They're called the laws of nature and nature's God. And it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or a Christian. You run off a cliff, you'll still die because that's called the law of gravity. Oh, we don't believe in laws. That's a white man's constraint through the enlightenment and the scientific method, which is designed to suppress minorities. Work on that one. See how that does for the country. We're not going to do buildings anymore without the scientific method. And yeah, oh, wow. That's, yeah, empirical data. (laughs) Okay. I'm not going to go on anything you build. Oh, truth is what we say it is. No, truth is what God says it is. And truth is knowable. And there is absolute truth, and there's revealed truth because it's a universe of design. Now, there's two schools of thought. One is I agree with you, and the other is I don't. Two great truths of the universe. There's a God, and you're not him. Why does he have to be a him? Because the Bible says so. Take it up with him. You can accept it or reject it. It's the only book in the world you don't read it, it reads you. Everywhere the archaeologists have dug, based on where the scriptures have said it, it's there. 
It's proven by science. It's proven by history. It's proven by archaeology. It's an amazing book. 66 books. The canon means rule. They allowed those books in because they had specific requirements to consider them part of the scriptures. Everyone wanted to slide in their idea and get their theology in. And as we see this and we see what it's done to nations, everyone who's ever embraced it has changed the world. America, trust me, America, we have problems. But our problems are universal. Our successes are unique. A nation was founded in a time when slavery was acceptable around the world. All of our founders had their hand in slavery in some capacity, whether they purchased goods that were harvested by slave labor, whether maybe the monument for Washington's monument, that that those stones were carved by slaves. We can go through all kinds of examinations, but the reality is it was a culture of slavery. But these founders wrote in the foundational documents, both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, the the removal of slavery over a 20-year period. Now, John C. Calhoun and others came in and wanted to keep the institution because they profited from it, that they would gain from the sweat of another man's brow who would not receive just compensation for the work they did. They would treat them as less than human and they would avoid this Declaration of Independence. But these men decided, look, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Why do I say all that? Because everyone in this room, including me, have participated in an institution that is far more vile than slavery. The butchery of children, babies, millions. We make Mengele look like a saint. California leads the nation in abortion. And with our moral pietism, we, we, paste, we, we post black tiles we say, Black Lives Matter. We support BLM Inc. Even though 4% of the population, which is childbearing black females, 4% of the population of America, childbearing black females, are responsible for 37% of the, the abortions. It is a holocaust on the black community. Margaret Sanger, a eugenicist, made sure that Planned Parenthood clinics, abortion clinics were set up in the inner city to get rid of the undesirable races. Do your homework. It's vile. BLM Inc. is supported by Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood supports BLM Inc. And every Planned Parenthood and abortion clinic that exists in anyone's community is brought to you by the silence of God's people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. I don't bring condemnation. I know everyone in the room has been affected by abortion. I don't bring condemnation. I'll tell you what I am doing. I'm doing the same thing that happened to the founders. It's called an awakening. They lived in a society that was pro-slavery. We live in a society that's pro-abortion. They, they awoke to the, to the vileness of it, and they purposed to create a nation that would remove it. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. We've all got a past. God has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more, and our future is bright. We look to the past for context. 
but we go into the future with conviction. We need to know the why and what we do. Family's not a big enough why. Work is not a big enough why. A dream is not a big enough why. The only why that will succeed in contending for the freedom of mankind because the giants in the land that they were afraid of, trust me, our giants are, are exponentially bigger. Look what they've done to, to our county, to our state, to our nation. You're going to lose your job if you keep coming to this church. Some of you have. You've been kicked out of the places that you were renting. You've been made fun of. Family members won't let you come to gatherings. Most people take the vac vac vaccine. Did you see that YouTube? Not because they think it's healthy, but because of social pressure. And I have, I, I'll leave that alone. <laughs> and yet all it is is control. And they frighten you. That's how they get it. Fear. Benjamin Franklin said anyone who would give up their liberty for the sake of security will obtain neither. Oh, yeah, okay, shut down the cruise line. Now they're going to say to me, you can't fly if you're not vaccinated or you haven't had a COVID test. The amount of times I fly and the price of a COVID test, I'm going to go broke. My nostrils will be swollen. Just <laughs> Oh, okay. A virus so bad, you got to test it to see if you have it. Every, listen, the majority, over 94% of all COVID deaths had 2.9 comorbidities per patient. That means they had almost three things that you could have attributed their death to other than COVID. Very few people have died from COVID. Most have died with. I say that because fear is a very powerful tool to take away your liberty. And that's why God says to them, occupy that land. There's giants. God says, I'll be with you. No weapon fashioned against you will stand. I'll go before you. I'll carry you as a father carries a son. Moses is reminding him of the past. He parted the Red Sea. He drowned Pharaoh's army. He provided food for you every day. Have you forgotten this God? His commandments are to give you fruitfulness in the land that you will occupy, but you need to occupy it. It will not be yours until you step into it. And you will have to face those giants and trust the Lord that he will vanquish them. I was just listening, uh, listening, I was just reading the transcript that our attorney sent us of when I was with the judge after my contempt hearing. I don't remember that day. Seriously, it's like I blacked out. And I'm reading the transcript, I'm like, this is good. My wife goes, I remember every word. I go, I don't. She goes, you were inspired. I go, no, I don't think I was there. <laughs> I was scared that day. We're all scared. But you know how you overcome fear? 
I learned this from my dad when I was at the Washington Monument during the, the war protests. I was a little boy, I was six years old. My dad was wearing his military uniform. We were getting our picture at the Washington Monument. And war protesters were everywhere. And they were screaming and yelling. And my dad's hand, he had the most beautiful hands, he just pushed me behind him and stood. My dad's got this. That's an earthly father. My heavenly father holds the heavens in the span of his hand. A sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without his full knowledge. He orchestrates and guides the currents of the seas. I I was just out in the Caribbean where we couldn't see land. Waves big. And the immensity of it all. You're a gnat on the butt of an elephant. And yet God is in control of all of it. Every fish that we hooked. Amazing. Michelle caught an albacore. Skipjack tuna. I caught a mackerel. I mean, that's just how it is. But I caught a vision. This idea that God wants us to be free. You can read through Deuteronomy 6 and think to yourself, you know... Okay, Ten Commandments, I've read those before. Let's move on. No. Now more than ever, you need to awaken. You see, any family that teaches these and embraces these, your children will flourish. Your families will be blessed. You don't believe me, try it. God commands it. So impressive was this to our founders that they instilled in every one of the commandments a principle that is embodied in either the Declaration of Independence itself or the Constitution itself. This American experiment in ordered liberty presupposed the existence of a supreme being. One author says, as a Declaration of Independence reminds us this code is self-evident Indeed, the Declaration enshrined this simple yet powerful truth that inalienable rights or basic human rights do not come as a gift from a ruling elite such as a king, governor, supervisor, a judge, but rather natural rights come from God. The founding fathers went out of their way to acknowledge God no less than four times in the Declaration of Independence as they Stated first, the laws of nature and nature's God. All men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. With firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. This bold declaration of dependence, dependence, I love that. Upon God led the early 20th century British writer G.K. Chesterton. He's a philosopher, my daughter's favorite, to describe America as the only nation founded on a creed. Indeed, those who framed our government not only did so with an acknowledgement of the God of natural revelation, but also with the God revealed in the pages of the Judeo-Christian scriptures. 
This is the same God worshipped by vast majority of Americans from the time of the first colonial settlement in Virginia and Massachusetts through the time of the establishment of our constitutional government, thus providing the foundation for the many public calls to prayer, fasting, and thanksgiving. Our first president, George Washington, <clears throat> stated in his farewell address, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In fact, he questioned patriotism of anyone who should labor, quote, should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. He argued that religion is essential to the formation of morality. He said, quote, reason and experience both forbid us to expect national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle and that morality in turn is an indispensable ingredient for a thriving democratic or constitutional republic. It is substantially true that virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government. The rule indeed extends with more or less force to every species of free government. Our second president, John Adams, agreed. He said, quote, it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. In fact, without that firm foundation, our constitutional form of government would be in jeopardy as it is now. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to government of any other. That's John Adams. I share that because our founders were not the first to come up with a constitutional republic. It was the Jews. Better yet, it was God. Yeah, Jethro. Republic. Thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Godly men who are not covetous, who love the law. Appoint them, Moses. You can't do this on your own. Federal, state, county, local. And then, of course, the, the Constitution was the Ten Commandments. Ours are the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution, 27 amendments. For the Jews, it was the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. You know what's funny? I'd say three-quarters of this room can name all three of the Stooges. I bet you many in the room could name at least three members of the Brady Bunch. You're like, Marsha? Uh, Jan? Most of you could finish this commercial. Two all-beef patty special sauce. You know it. Some of the younger kids are going, what is he talking about? <laughs> you have your deals. You can remember them too. It's just, it's stupid things that they've ingrained in your skull and you can't get rid of. I, I was at Alan Boat. I go, hey, there's a pelican. Its beak can hold more than its belly can. My dad taught me that. When I was very little, never forgot it. I know limericks that are vile. My dad taught me those. <laughs> Maybe someday when I'm in trouble, I'll just share them with you. <laughs> Did you know that only 14% of Americans can accurately name all 10 commandments? Yet 78% of Americans agree that they should be taught to our children, yet we don't know them and we don't teach them. But we know the value of them. And yet we're in a day and age when we're in trouble, 
and we're about to lose our republic. And the giants are big in the land and God wants you to go and possess the land and yet we're hesitant. And why is that? God said to the nation of Israel, as he says to us today, surely I've taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. We used to be. This church is. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law, which I set before you this day? Moses goes on to say, only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourselves, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, and they will learn to fear me. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They will learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. It's not a fear where he's frightening you and he scares you, where he's capricious. It's a fear of respect. When somebody important walks in a room, they, they take the oxygen. You know what I speak of. That's God. For not only us, but our children and our grandchildren. My mother-in-law did a thing where she sent it out, and it was her magnum opus. And she said, I want you all to hear what is critical to me, and I want your generations to know this. I was moved by it. Well, this is what God calls us to do for our children and our grandchildren. And yet we don't. There's giants in the land. We can't do that. The government won't let us. Isn't that a government of the people, by the people, and for the people? Well, the school board, again, don't they govern by our consent? Nazi Germany looks saintly compared to America with the million babies we eviscerate in their mother's womb and flush into the sewer system of our nation. By saying that, the church doesn't grow. But it doesn't change what God sees. And again, I'm not here to condemn. Everyone in this room has been affected by abortion. I'm saying, just like the founders, let's awaken. And then we'll be revived. They changed their world. They were born into slavery. They participated in slavery. And they set out to create a nation that would remove slavery. Let us do the same in America with abortion now. Moses called all Israel, Deuteronomy 5, and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us here in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. The Lord 
talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up the mountain. Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God commanded you that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. He wants you to have life and life more abundant. He wants this land to be fruitful. He wants its people to be free. And the only freedom comes by the wise restraints that make us free, the law. Not legalism. The law of civil rule. The law doesn't save, but it protects us until faith comes. The reason why we have the First Amendment is we have a nation that understands the value of a law that points us to Christ until faith comes. We have freedom of religion. And the reason why is because our founders understood that every king needs a counselor and every president needs a cabinet. And so when they gave us the seven articles and they declared you and me to be we the people, the sovereign of the nation, they gave us a cabinet, a counselor in the First Amendment, the press, the pulpit, speech. You see, the press is to report the truth, the pulpits are to proclaim it, and the people are to live it and teach it to their children and their grandchildren. And if we all fail, then we have the ability of a right of redress of grievances when we peaceably assemble. God wants us to contend for the freedom of mankind. That's the greatest love we can show mankind and especially the unborn, the least of these. But we don't want freedom. We want to be taken care of. And they frighten us. And we lose our liberty. And after God goes through the listing in chapter 5 of the Ten Commandments, he says, this is the greatest commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson and all the days of your life and that you, your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply, multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. And then they give this verse that all Jews are to memorize. And we as Christians should as well. It's the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. People say, God, my wife, my kids, my job. That's the order. No, that's not the order. It's God. Some days God says, it's your wife. Some days God says, it's your job. He sets the priority, not us. God, God, God. Lord, this is your vessel. What do you want to do with it today? You are the CEO. You're the chairman of the board of this company. What would you like to do with this asset? Well, it's not much of an asset. but <laughs> That's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Jesus would add to that later in Matthew 22. We'll get to that momentarily. But before we do, the Ten Commandments that preceded it, that 14% of you may, can't, may be able to recite accurately, 
And I think that number's gone down. I said that to my son last night as I was driving in. He called me at 1.30. He said, Dad, you awake? Are you doing okay? I'm like, I'm fine. He goes, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I started talking to him. He goes, man, I don't know those, Dad. I woke up this morning. My son comes to me. He says, Dad, uh, I want to tell you something. I'm like, what's up? He, rec- he recited all of them. He memorized them between them. I was more ashamed that I didn't teach him those. I was proud of him. I'm always proud of him. The Ten Commandments. Jesus said what we just read. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. This is the first and great commandment. But here are the Decalogue, the commandments, the moral law that God gave the nation of Israel. Their constitution for their republic. You shall, lo- you shall have no other gods be- but me. You shall not make for yourselves any idol, nor bow down to it or worship it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. It'll go well with you. You'll live long on the earth. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness or evidence against your neighbor. And you're not to be covetous or envy your neighbor's goods or his house, or his wife, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This all happened in the desert, in the wilderness. God gave this to them and reminded them. First he did it in Sinai, and now he does it at Kadesh Barnea. They're getting ready to enter the promised land, the fullness that God had promised. He had set them free from tyrants, but now he wanted to set them free of themselves, that they could govern. And our founders looked at this when they had looked at 6,000 years of recorded history, wondering... What kind of government will we give the people? And they looked at these commandments. First commandment, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. One author writes, this foundational belief finds expression in our national motto and on our currency as in in God we trust and in our pledge of allegiance as one nation under God. The first commandment requires that God must be worshipped exclusively. This nation is a nation of a creed, as G.K. Chesterton pointed out. A nation that lists all the attributes of God in its declaration of dependence and independence. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Another author writes, belief in a creator and a supreme judge who will dispense rewards and punishments can have a profoundly positive socializing effect and help produce a just, free, and stable society. The second commandment requires that God must be worshipped correctly. It's true. If you're worried of what he is going to do to you, you're going to make sure you're doing this right. Because you don't want to have a problem with this. Because you're going to breathe your last and your heart's got a number of beats and your lungs are going to go out sooner or later and we're all going to die of the last thing we had. And it's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. You don't have to believe in God. He believes in you. But you will stand before him and give an accounting of your life. You can disagree with me. The two great laws of the universe, there's a God, you're not him. Why does he have to be a him? Because the scriptures say so. Well, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I, take it up with him. Seriously, it's, this is remedial. We've abandoned it, and look what we've gotten. Slavery. Tyranny. 
The third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This commandment is about honoring God's name, right? Check this out. Now, as God, he, he deserves to be treated with honor and respect. General George Washington condemned profane cursing and swearing in the Const Continental Army convinced that we can have little hopes of the blessing of heaven on our arms if we insult it by our impiety to his name. The threat attached to this commandment shows that God expects to be obeyed. Even his name is holy. The third commandment requires that God's name must be treated reverently. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day. By keeping it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. We have to give him the first day of the week. Spend time teaching our children about him and worshiping corporately in our assembly. Historically in this nation, there are many other examples of the importance of this commandment in the life of our country. General George Washington again issued orders to the Continental Army to attend, ready for this, divine services every Sunday. This is an order from, for the Continental Army by the general. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to laud the more distinguished character of Christian. President Abraham Lincoln also issued an executive order respecting the observance of the Sabbath day in the Army and Navy, citing the example of George Washington. This commandment is even acknowledged in the U.S. Constitution. What? Fun to read if you have insomnia. I'm kidding. It, it really is fascinating. This commandment is even acknowledged in the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 7, Paragraph 2, which states in part, if any bill shall not be returned by the president within 10 days, Sunday accepted. Did you get that? After it shall be presented to him, the same shall be a law. The fourth commandment requires that God's day of rest must be observed devotedly. Contemporary critics argue that the first four commandments of the Decalogue, which speak of our obligations to God, were inconsequential in our history, or that they should not be publicly displayed today. However, the facts prove that they have exerted a substantial influence on American law and practice from the first settlements to the founding of the nation. Now, the next six commandments focus on our obligation to each other. Hang in there. We'll get it all done. And by the way, we're not taking communion. I know it's communion Sunday. Just hold on to it. I couldn't do it first service. I've got a lot. The Lord put it on my heart. And he said it's okay. All things are permissible. Not all things are profitable. This is both. Fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This commandment is about respecting authority. This authority is delegated to parents by God who assumes his ultimate authority as father this is the first commandment that is accompanied by a promise. Early colonial laws respected parental rights and responsibilities when it came to educating, disciplining, and supervising their children. Now we've relegated that to secular progressives who want to indoctrinate our children and change our history, the 1619 Project and our true history. If they can separate our children and their history from ours, we don't have one nation. We have two separate nations because we don't have a shared history. They know what they're doing. And you are the steward of those children and those grandchildren. And when you sh sh send them off to, <laughs> not good. <laughs> I can't homeschool. I don't have time. You find time for things that are important. Amen. I don't have time either. 
All our kids walk with the Lord and they know American history and they know liberty. My wife did that. She did. She's an amazing teacher. I wish I'd had her as a teacher. I would have been smarter. The supervising of children. Um, as a young man, George Washington wrote that he copied the 110 rules of civility and decent behavior in company and conversation required by his parents, which included rule 108, honor and obey your natural parents, although they be poor. Thomas Jefferson advised the son of a friend, reverence and cherish your parents. The fifth commandment requires that God's delegated authorities must be treated honorably. If we can learn to obey our parents, we'll, we'll learn to obey authority. And everyone's going to get a lousy boss someday. And if you can put up with your parents, you'll do just fine. Amen? Amen. And by the way, you don't get to pick the parents you get in this world, but you can pick the kind of parent you're going to be. So kids, honor your parents. Even Ronald Reagan had a lousy father, and so did Winston Churchill, and you never heard them speak poorly about either, and both of those men were great leaders. Sixth commandment, you shall not murder. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among those being life then liberty, then the pursuit of happiness slash virtue. Liberty and virtue, liberty and happiness are of scarce little value if you're dead. This nation is a nation of life. And the safest place in America should be the womb of a mother. Well, that's not very popular. Maybe not. But it's right. And it's a commandment of God. You shall not murder. Everyone in the room has been affected by abortion. I'm not here to condemn. Just like the founders, we're awakening to our call. We're going to occupy the land with his goodness. Your child comes to you and you learn real quickly the difference between morality and character. Your child says, Mommy, all the kids in the school called Susie fat, but I didn't. You say, well, that's, the merit, that's very moral. But where's your character, child? You say, what do you mean, mommy? Why didn't you tell the other children to stop it? They would have laughed at me. You're afraid of the giants in the land from occupying and doing what's right. Susie needed a friend and a baby in the womb who's defenseless needs you and me. The sixth commandment applies to embryo destructive research as you see lab rats walking around with the skulls of children. It's true. That vile research, abortion, suicide, euthanasia, God-given human life needs to be treated respectfully. Seventh, you shall not commit adultery. God is a covenant-keeping God who expects covenants to be kept between every man and woman who marries. Numerous colonial laws cited the seventh commandment. The reason is that health of the family has a direct bearing on the health of a culture and society. If the secular progressives can ruin the family and reconstruct it or deconstruct it, they can own you. Children are the weakest of the four when God expresses in Ephesians 5 and 6, submitting to one another in the fear of God, um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. You live long on the earth. 
four layers of protection. God, husband, wife, kids. Now, my wife, she's tough, but I, 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 was, I was, what, 16 years old, and my, my time in swimming was faster than any woman on the planet. And people say, oh, no, no, uh, I'm transitioning. I, I was a man, but now I'm a woman, and I'm competing in female athletics. Not fair. Every cell of your body is designed as a man. And I, I don't know who you're trying to fool, but there's two genders, male and female. Now, you, you may have your, you know, struggle, but that doesn't mean you get to beat up on women because you can't compete with men. It doesn't work that way. And we're buying into this nonsense. Giants are in the land. And we have a whole month to celebrate. And if they can destroy that, there's no covering. The weakest of the four has the most layers of protection. And if they can just go right to the kids, they don't get wisdom because they have no fear of God and they don't have to be educated. They can be indoctrinated. And then they're separated from you. That's what every socialist, communist nation has done, every fascist nation. If we own the kids, we own the next generation. And that's frightening, because God entrusted you as a steward. And the health of the family has a direct bearing on the health of a culture. On June 2nd, 1778, founding father John Adams wrote in his diary while in Paris, the foundations of national morality must be laid in private families. In vain are schools, academies, and universities instituted if loose principles and licentious habits are impressed upon children in their earliest years. How is it possible that children can have any just sense of the sacred obligations of morality and religion if, from their earliest infancy, they learn their mothers live in habitual infidelity to their fathers and their fathers in a constant infidelity to their mothers? We live in a world of, of gender dysphoria because in 1970, this state legalized no-fault divorce and every family in the room has been affected by Reagan's decree. And now we got kids that are just struggling. And the divorce rate's the same in the church as it is in the nation. We need to return to this microcosmic picture of Christ's love for the church, the bride and the groom, and that he died for us. And marriage survives with one word, humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. Having, this, let, having the same love, being of like mind, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Christ, though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant unto death, even death on a cross. Humility. You don't enter into a marriage because that person's going to make my life happier. You enter in because I want to make their life happier. I'll ask a couple can you live with this person for the rest of your life? And they say, yes. I say, don't get married. They're like, what? I go, the answer is, I can't live without them. Till death do us part in sickness and in health for richer or poorer. Listen, we're fallen creatures. We make mistakes. Divorce isn't the unpardonable sin, but there needs to be a lot less of it. We change partners like we do clothing. And God wants us to be faithful to him and to each other. Not condemnation, awakening. Your past is behind you, your future awaits you. Let's just awaken to it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. Just look at it and say, okay, God, I'm awake to what you want. You're good. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Amen.
Eighth commandment, you shall not steal. The commandment is about respecting property of others. God is ultimately the provider of all things. Since everything belongs to him, we certainly do not have the right to take what he has given to someone else. Many colonial laws, I don't have time to go through them. Ninth commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This was critical in the foundation of our nation. When I took the oath of office, I, and, and when I was put on the witness stand uh, at my hearing, I was guilty and they still had me take the witness stand. Good attorney, I like this guy. But I had to swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. When I took the oath of office, I would defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, so help me God. This is truth. Colonial laws prohibited bearing false witness. In his farewell address, George Washington advised, I hold the maxim that no less applicable to public than to private affairs that honesty is always the best policy. We must speak and deal with others truthfully, and I will say this, I'm, I'm rapidly going through it. I finished by 40, not 12.30 in the last, so I'm gonna get it done. People send me emails, and I've posted them thinking that they were vetted, because I trusted you, and you didn't do your homework. We must be men and women of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth, studying to show ourselves approved. And when you're sending those emails, a rumor is, is a lie, but it has legs on it. And we must be men and women of truth and must do due diligence. Just because it feeds your narrative doesn't mean you repost it. The 10th commandment, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the commandment. It's all about contentment. God is our provider. He can be trusted to give us what we truly need. Consequently, we must have faith in God's providence regardless of our situation. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Covetousness is the opposite of contentment. It is sinful desire to possess what God has chosen to give someone else. President John Adams listed avarice or covetousness as one of the most dangerous enemies of the common good. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net. And Noah Webster the founder of Webster's Dictionary, which bears his name, cited Exodus 18.21 when he declared scriptures direct that rulers should be men who rule in the fear of God, able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. The Ten Commandments require that we accept God's providence. Now, you got all that. You're gonna study it. Next week, we're gonna have a test. <laughs> and we conclude with this man. He's not the founder of the Foster Freezes, he was a wealth management man. I think he made $850 million in his lifetime. I went to his funeral on Saturday. I've never been more touched in all my life. Testimony after testimony, even from his deaf son and his, his wife married a woman, who's, or his, his, his son married a woman that was deaf as well. Their children were signing and speaking. It was a fascinating family one of the neatest men. I sat at a table with him in Mar-a-Lago. Charlie posted me there, and I, I, he said, I gotta go to another dinner. Will you take care of Foster? He's our biggest donor. And, and I'm like, okay. He goes, yeah. So I was with Erica at the time, his fiance, and then this other woman next to me who I didn't know. Foster says, only one person speaks at a time. And they have a candle that's by their face, and they speak. And he, he'd always insist on a round table. Big cowboy hat, and he controlled the whole thing. I was thinking, this guy's a little pushy. And he said, no sidebar conversations. If there's a sidebar conversation, I'll throw a roll at you. <laughs> and he put me next to a woman who couldn't hear well. 
And she kept saying, what, what, what are they saying? I'm like, you know, she was older and I wanted to help her. And he throws a roll at me. I'm like, dude, she can't hear. Well, you don't have sidebar conversations. You tell the person speaking, would you please speak up? My friend can't hear. I told you no sidebar conversations. I said, I'm sorry, I, you're right. And he goes, speak up. The person spoke up. I thought, it, I really, I thought it was a little controlling. But I was polite. And he ended up giving $5 million the next night. So Charlie was really impressed with my ability to take a roll to the head. His children and his grandchildren spoke. They'd all been instructed of generosity and love. He was a man who had taught his entire family the Ten Commandments, the greatest commandment, and then Matthew 22. Jesus took from our reading this morning in Deuteronomy 6 and he added to it man said what's the greatest commandment and Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart soul strength and mind that's the greatest first and greatest commandment and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself and then Jesus went on to say on these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets this is how you live together I sat through a service that I didn't think I'd be invited to and I was in the second row behind the family Charlie Kirk loved Foster. He loved him because he was bigger than life and he was the first man to invest in Turning Point USA. Charlie was the only family member to speak and I conclude with this. Bear with me, please. And this is the illustration for the power of the commandments in the life of your family and in your life. This isn't an exercise in futility. Own them. Live them. Apply them. Don't be afraid of the giants in the land. Contend for them. Set your neighbors free. Share them. Charlie's one of the best public speakers I've ever heard. He didn't know how to close this message, but Barry McGuire, McGuire Wax, told me why. He said, Rob, Charlie just didn't want to say goodbye. I've seen Charlie cry twice, once at his wedding and here. His speech was this, one month ago today I stood at this altar in this church and married my wife Erica. Nine years ago on June 5th, 2012 to the day was the official start of Turning Point USA and now today I have to say goodbye to a dear friend and American patriot. This has not been an easy week. I remember walking through the Tampa Convention Center at the Republican National Convention in 2012. I was in search of hope and a reason to keep going. Bill Montgomery and I walked through hallway after hallway trying to find someone to believe in our vision until I saw a familiar face in a stairwell with a cowboy hat that I recognized him from the news. It was Foster Freeze. I immediately came up to him and introduced myself. I was 18 at the time and Turning Point had zero donors no real presence. I was just a kid from Chicago with a dream and energy to try to change the world. Foster warmly greeted me and told me 
the way to remember his name was that you have a Foster's beer and a pile of fries and then add an S to it. For those of you who know Foster, that intro makes perfect sense. We got to talking and instead of brushing me off like almost how almost everyone else did, he kept talking. He told me his current portfolio of jokes, his favorite Bible verses, and asked me what I wanted to do with my life. I think I remember the joke. It went something like this. An out-of-towner drove his car into a ditch in a desolate area. Luckily, a local farmer came to help with his big, strong horse named Homer. He hitched Homer up to the car and yelled, Pull, Nellie, pull! And Homer didn't move. Then the farmer hollered, Pull, Buster, pull! And Homer didn't move. Once more, the farmer commanded, Pull, Coco, pull! Homer never moved a muscle at all. And then the farmer nonchalantly said, Pull, Homer, pull! And the horse easily dragged the car out of the ditch. The motorist was most appreciative and very curious. And he asked the farmer why he called his horse by the wrong name three times. And the farmer said, Oh, Homer's blind. And if he thought he was the only one pulling, he wouldn't even try. I got to keep going. Come on, stop it. <laughs> I have heard that joke many times. Charlie writes here, I heard Foster tell that joke over 200 times and it still gets a laugh. I clumsily told him the vision of Turning Point USA and how I believed young people needed to hear the conservative message. We exchanged business cards and Foster told me he would be in touch and that he wanted to support me. A few weeks later, he sent Turning Point USA $10,000 and it was our first investment in the resource that got us started. From there, Foster remained a steady and charming influence on my life. He was always encouraging me to be a better person, act with civility, be the happiest person in the room, and try to seek peace with my enemies. Foster was remarkably generous to our vision, and without Foster Freeze and his continual generosity, our organization and movement would not exist today. Many of you know the incredible story of his 70th birthday. He had a party where everyone who attended was given $70,000 to give to their favorite charity. And the way it worked was, Foster said, everyone fill out your favorite charity. Tonight we're going to do a drawing, and the ones that are picked, well, your, your charity will get $70,000. He had over 100 people attend. He said, I, I, at the end of the party, he says, I, I have the winners, all of you. He gave away $7.7 million that night. Lynn and Foster did not do this to get a library named after them or an institution in their honor. Foster loved people. He paid as much respect to the taxicab drivers he did a senator. To him, all people were equal just as they were in the eyes of God. His story was uniquely American, and one of his many passions was to make sure this country remained free for my generation and for generations to come. He was truly a Horatio Alger story, coming from nearly nothing, creating remarkable amounts of value and giving it away generously. Only in America is a story like Foster's plausible or possible. Foster did not count success in material wealth. To quote him, he says, this is not my money, it's God's money. If it was my money, you wouldn't get one red cent. <laughs> Foster was the wealthiest man I have ever met. Not materially, but in things that are transcendent and that are eternal. He was rich in friendships. He valued connections with people of all walks of life. He wanted to hear your story, your struggles, and how he could possibly help you. This is the best demonstration in the trips he would host multiple times a year in the Langara Lodge, uh, Paul Nelson's farm in South Dakota. Four days on end, Foster would host his closest friends from all walks of life to a five-star experience hunting and fishing, 
That was always fun, but what Foster enjoyed most was the meals where, of course, only one person was allowed to speak at a time around the round table. Foster lit up with delight when a friend, would, uh, a friend of his would share a new success story or project they were working on. While most people would have a material net worth similar to Foster's, are interested in expanding their assets and spending their money on mon uh, mon monetary pleasure or earthly satisfaction, Foster, unlike so many of our leaders today, tried his best to give away everything he earned. He gave away over $500 million to charity throughout the years. To put that into perspective, it's the total GDP of the combination of seven Polynesian nations. Foster got wealthier the more he gave away. Um, yeah. What happened to the other? That's all right. Let's keep moving. Foster would repeat every single day that Jesus Christ was the chairman of the board of his life. If there's just one thing we remember from Foster today, it should be that. All of us knew that Foster knew he was very precise in how he lives his life. For example, he had a, a disgust for abbreviations and acronyms without explaining what they meant. He had a commitment to only one person talking at a time at dinner and he gave advice that you must always face sitting the window because it highlights your face better and it's easier for others to see you without squinting. He had a description of a complete day which was rep, a day that included relationship time, exercise and productivity. He insisted that I get a driver because a driver takes, driving takes too much time out of your day and otherwise you could use that working, Charlie. He encouraged me to develop a note card system that would prioritize everything based on color of urgency. Blue means it can wait for later. Yellow means it has to be done now. Red means, I, uh, means he better call Lynn and ask how he can help. As I prepared for these remarks and I thought about Foster, I asked the question, why? Why was Foster so adamant on people not using unexplained abbreviations and acronyms? Why was Foster insistent only one person talked at dinner at a time? Why did Foster tell so many jokes? Why did Foster insist that when you were in a meeting you sit facing the light from a window? The answer is so clear and explains the person that was Foster Freeze. He cared about other people so much that he wouldn't want anyone to be confused uncomfortable, unhappy, or distracted. He never wanted anyone in his presence in a situation he could control to leaving feeling alienated, uncertain, or worse than before they met him. That was his focus, minute by minute, serving others. The last time I, I spoke to Foster was one month ago today. On my wedding day, Foster was worn down from the treatments but was whimsical as a po and, and positive as ever. He talked about hospital price transparency and the need to hold the hospital lobby accountable. Foster told us how much we meant to him and how he wanted to continue, us to continue to spread grace, truth, and, the, and, and love to the world. The last thing I remember him saying to us via FaceTime was keep fighting, never give up, be civil, and enjoy the ride. Foster's life mission was reflected in everything he did to the little idiosyncrasies, to the major gifts of philanthropy. We're all about serving others and lifting up others. Sorry, it's out of sequence here. Yeah. Charlie says, oh, here it is. 
Foster will be remembered as one of the greatest Americans to ever live. He'll be mentioned alongside the legends of Eisenhower, Reagan, Lincoln, MacArthur, Hamilton, Rockefeller, I'm almost done. A titan of industry, a magnanimous political force, and a phenomenal patriot and a source of joy to every person he came into contact with. Foster brought light to every corner he traveled. There was not one room that wasn't a little bit brighter after he left. Ralph Waldo Emerson famously said, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. Over his lifetime, Foster did that for millions of people, a life truly well lived. To Foster, who I know is watching from heaven right now, likely with a Foster's beer and telling angels all his jokes, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being a rock for all of us. Thank you for not giving up on our country. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for being a source of joy in my life and demonstrating to me what it meant to live as, a, as Christ commanded us. Thank you for showing what it looks like to be a good husband, leader, and father. And finally, for all of us, we now have work to do. And this is where Charlie didn't know how to close. And so I helped him a little bit. He didn't want to say goodbye. Foster completed what God called him to do. As you know, Foster didn't die. He began to truly live his greatest Joy second only to his family was all of us, his students. God called Foster to equip us and bless us as he, and he did. The Lord used Foster to equip us and challenge us to serve others as he served us. Foster has graduated and moved to the fullness and is now complete and lacking nothing. We remain here charged to continue this work well equipped with Foster's wisdom and infectious optimism to continue the noble work he inspired in all of us that we may do the same for the generations that will follow us and attend to our eulogies. Foster would find no joy in our despair. He would move us into his indomitable resolve to make his investment and sacrifice in us count mightily for the generations behind us that need guidance and support. Sadness is temporary, but joy is eternal. Our work is noble and eternal, and Foster taught us this truth. Now we honor our friend by dedicating ourselves to carry his love of liberty to new generations. As Abraham Lincoln proclaimed, this nation shall have a new birth of freedom and let us honor our friend and press on. Thomas Paine said, tyranny like hell is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation with us. That the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Foster, thank you, my friend and mighty mentor. Rest well knowing you have entrusted this work to fervent stewards. Kindly and with deepest regards, your friend, Charlie. That's the greatest commandment. His kids loved him. His grandkids loved him. He left the world a better place. He gave away more than two-thirds of what he made. He was born in poverty. He wanted to give it all. And I don't say that to cajole anyone. I don't care about that. I've never asked you for a dime. I just say that because it's the commandment that drives us because the God we honor who is your God? And what will you leave? And what will be your eulogy? Because God has given you the commandments to give you an abundant life. And they're not troublesome and they're not tiresome and they're critical. And this nation needs an infusion of those wise restraints that'll make us free. And today, that's what God has for all of us. And I'm sorry I went long, but I've been up all night, God bless you.
Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your commandments that are not burdensome, Lord. They bring, they bring hope. They make us free, free from the tyranny of ourselves that we would, we would occupy that land that you've given us and we would flourish. Lord, let us instruct our children in these commandments, this moral law. Let our nation honor them once again and not remove them from the edifices of our buildings. Lord, let our schools realize the importance of them as we're watching the decline that this nation conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal. We'll have a new birth of freedom. Lord, please, bless these folks. They're moral people, but God, this season requires men and women of character. Stop it. Tell the other children to stop it. Let them be brave. Let them not be afraid of the giants. And let them occupy the land with truth to set the captives free. Bless them, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys.